What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three of the world's not-so-great detectives with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm here to fulfill Russell Gould's destiny. I'm Keith Baker, and I wish I was as good as acting as George Clooney. And I'm Austin Terry, and when you really think about it, James Gordon is very bad at his job. On today's show, we're getting all teed up for the release of Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson's The Batman next week. There have been several adaptations of The Cape Crusader over the years, and we figured, why not revisit them? See what we liked, what we didn't, and what we hope to see in this new version. But before we get to that, guys, what would be your moral code in the quest of fighting crime? Yeah, I think just like Michael Keaton as Batman, my moral code would absolutely be I do not kill under any circumstance, unless, of course, there's just dynamite laying around and I'm itching to blow up some people. I really resonate with that because I think my moral code would be just like my good friend Christian Bales, which is I absolutely do not kill under any circumstances. Ew, killing, gross. But if there is a man with half a face holding a kid and he's on the side of a building, I will tackle him off to his death. Oh, I think mine would be not to leave a creepy smile on my face as I'm walking away from my girlfriend that I know <laughs> is also the person I'm fighting. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, too many creepy smiles these Batmans have on their little part of their mouth you can see, which isn't covered by a cowl. <laughs> They're smiling a bit too hard for my taste. Too many stiff necks in these movies, too. Oh, that's a good <laughs> point as well. That's a good point. It is hard to look up as a crime fighter these days. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic for today's show. Batman was created in 1939 by Bill Finger and Bob Kane, who, for those that don't know, mostly stole all the credit from Bill Finger. Uh, the character means a lot of things to a lot of people. It doesn't seem unusual that the character can run around on a pier with a bomb above his head. He can be a socially awkward bachelor, a man in an identity crisis considering giving up the cowl for love, a guy that walks around with a bat credit card in his pocket at all times amongst his other gadgets, a rich playboy by day and a hero willing to take the fall for a crime that means protecting his city and inspiring hope by night, or a reformed killing machine that stands alongside Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. We can look at all these wildly different interpretations of this character, whether it be in live action, animation, comic book, or video game form, and we can say that is Batman. So, Austin and Keith, give me your history with and thoughts on Bruce Wayne, aka the Batman, and let me know what you guys are looking forward to talking about today. I mean, Batman's always been my number one hero. I've always been a DC guy. I grew up with the animated shows with Kevin Conroy voicing the Batman, Batman the Animated Series, the Justice League cartoon. All that stuff was like, really defining content for my childhood. And then as I got older, I sought out the Michael Keaton Batman and didn't love the 90s interpretations of the character when I was younger. I actively avoided George Clooney because I just always heard how bad that was and just had no interest in seeing it. I've seen clips of the Adam West era and I appreciate it for what it is, but that campiness really doesn't work for me, which is why a lot of the Joel Schumacher stuff has never been super interesting to me. The number one live action, I think for me, and I think just our generation will be Christian Bale. Um, I, I think he really impacted the character and just made it more serious coming off of all those 90s films. And I'm also a big fan of Ben Affleck. I think Batman as a character got more interesting as we got into the 2000s. I think they really struggled with what to do, the juxtaposition between Bruce Wayne and Batman in the 90s. And I think that's what I'm excited to get into is how, how you interpret Batman versus Bruce Wayne. Because to me, they're two different characters. Um, yeah, for me, I'm kind of with you, Austin. I started off watching the animated series as a kid. And then I guess there was some animated movies too that came along I guess as spinoffs from that series going from there I think I I think I've watched Clooney's Batman that one definitely comes to mind as one of the first Batman movies I, I got to see then I watched bits and pieces from the the Keaton ones never saw the Kilmer one um and then obviously the Bales will always be my favorite um and then going into Affleck cool interpretation I wish we could get a full movie uh, with him though and then I guess going to Robert Pattinson I'm looking forward to see seeing what he does. So that's my history with it all. Yeah. So it sounds like my origin story is the exact same thing. I mean, we all were born and grew up primarily in the mid to late 90s. So the animated, not just the animated series, but kind of all of the spinoffs and sequel series like Batman Beyond, that one was huge for me as well. Uh, the Justice League cartoons, like you said, just Kevin Conroy's, his whole arc as Batman was so... Um, just exciting for me. And it's what really introduced me to the character. And before the Bale stuff came out, because those were the first movies that I was going to be seeing in theaters, basically, for the character, I started slowly getting into like the comic side of it and the video games and really kind of expanding on 
just my Batman knowledge. And so by the time the bail ones hit in like 2005, I want to say, I was starting to like go back and look at the Adam West stuff. I had seen bits and pieces of that as a kid and then Keaton Kilmer Clooney, obviously. And it was so weird. We're going to talk about that as we go on. But I kind of alluded to it in my intro, but essentially I had an idea of what Batman was based on the animated stuff. And then going back to watch the stuff that came previously was so weird because it's like, they're so different, but I do see the bits and pieces of it that are what makes Batman Batman. So yeah, that was kind of cool. And then whenever Nolan stuff comes out, it's even more different and kind of crazy and influential. If I had to name one thing that was my favorite, I would probably say the Batman Arkham series, which I feel like kind of really blends the animated style and those voice actors with kind of a more down-to-earth, serious Nolan tone, but kind of a goofy Keaton and uh, Schumacher-like world design, if that makes sense. So that's my favorite. Love the character. Love these movies, even the ones that uh, are really goofy. So this is going to be fun. Something I did find on this rewatch returning to Tim Burton is his really feels like the animated series became live action, his Gotham design. Mm. Like I really saw a ton of the the animated series in that Gotham design, which I really appreciated this time around. Well, that was on purpose too. I mean, they literally started the animated series in 92 in response to like the popularity of the Burton stuff and the music. You know, you can definitely hear Danny Elfman's score influencing the animated series stuff. So yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things going back, seeing the similarities there. I love the whole retro look of his mansion and the Batcave oh, as yeah. well. And even the car, mm. even though it's kind of like cheesy looking at sometimes, I still I like the classic comic look to it. And I am also happy in the modern era that we got away from suit up shots that we had to get in the 90s of like pulling the belt around your waist, zooming in on some badass. I'm glad, well, glad we got away from all that. Batman Begins does that. Except it just doesn't do like the ass shots, <laughs> but we still get shots of him like putting on his gauntlet or putting on his belt. But they were like, let's not like an ass shot is one thing. But Schumacher was like, I'm going to do a close up of like the hole. Like that's how close up the shot's going to be. I guess we did also get a, a badass from Zack Snyder with Ben Affleck in the shower. Oh, yeah. He was just naked. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Here we go, getting right into it. So, of course, the Burton era consists of Batman, a.k.a. Batman 1989, and its sequel, Batman Returns. And, of course, it's the Tim Burton era. So both of these movies are directed by Tim Burton and scored by Danny Elfman. And going into our cast, we have Michael Keaton as our first Batman after Adam West's TV and movie run. And we got Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Danny DeVito as Penguin, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle, Catwoman. All right. So these were actually both pretty well received at the time, with most of the praise going to the first one, of course. The performances, production design, action, and art direction in particular were very consistently praised. They were box office successes that slowly started the reintroduction to the superhero movie formula. And also, fun fact, Batman 1989, the time for release, was actually the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. All right, let's dive right in here with Keaton's Bruce Wayne um, and his Batman, I guess, because to me, Michael Keaton feels like just a guy to me. He doesn't feel like a billionaire playboy in these movies. He doesn't feel like a damaged guy who's trying to avenge his parents. He literally feels like just a dude walking around that throws on a clunky Batman suit. I, uh, I really was not happy with Michael Keaton's Batman or his Bruce Wayne on a return to these films, and I am even less excited to see him in the Flash movie now. I don't know if I quite agree with you on his Batman, but his Bruce Wayne for sure, Austin. I think he, he definitely came off as just like a super nice guy. I didn't really buy that he had this history of his parents dying and all that, and he didn't carry any kind of weight to him at all. And he's like barely in the Batman suit too, so you don't really get to know his Batman. I actually disagree a lot. I think the best part of both of these movies might be, eh, I don't know about the best part, but one of the highlights at, at the very least is the Bruce Wayne. But I do acknowledge that it's different than what we're used to. It's not the classic like Bale thing, which is heavily influenced by the comics where it's like, I'm going to pretend to be this drunk playboy so nobody assumes I'm the Batman. I like that when Keaton is kind of not in the suit, he really just is kind of a socially awkward bachelor. Like he's not really seeking out that. He's kind of reclusive, it seems like. He's not super well known, at least in like the public eye. 
like people know who Bruce Wayne is, but they don't see him that often. I kind of got the idea. But yeah, I really liked how he had trouble talking to people. It seemed like, you know, he loses his parents and he's a billionaire that has a butler take care of him. So he really kind of doesn't have very good social skills, um, which kind of made me think about some other Tim Burton projects that we've seen in the past with like Edward Scissorhands or like his failed Superman project where they were going to lean into kind of the alienation of these characters. So I thought that was kind of cool. It worked for me. I do agree with you that I was surprised that there's not much of an introduction to Batman. He just already exists. And what I kind of liked what I saw with like the voice and the action and kind of the fear he inspired, I thought that was kind of cool. It just there wasn't that much of it. You're right. It really was focused more on him being Bruce Wayne or just the villains and side characters. So there wasn't too much Batman. It really seemed like Tim Burton was interested at how a how a guy would become the Joker in this world. Because yeah. you spend a ton of time with Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Batman, Jack Nicholson has top billing. He's the first name that appears in the cast list. I really like Jack Nicholson in this movie. I think he nailed what Joker was at the time. And I think a lot of what we see from Jack Nicholson's Joker was directly iterated on with like Mark Hamill's Joker. So I think anybody in the future that played the Joker, you can definitely see a lot of the Jack Nicholson elements in their performance. So I appreciate that. And I think he's really good. He's really funny. I like the randomness of it. I like how somebody can throw water on his face and then he can like scream and go, I'm melting, I'm melting. Like, boo. It's like, okay, that's kind of fun. I like that stuff. Or like whenever Batman's about to punch him at the end, he just puts on glasses. He's like, you wouldn't punch a guy with glasses, would you? <laughs> so there's stuff like that that I love. I think it's so iconic and so fun. And I don't mind the fact that he starts off like, I guess I don't mind the fact that we do get essentially a Joker origin, like you guys said, because Batman in this world already exists. This is kind of Joker's origin story. My only deal breaker, the thing that I really, really think was lazy and not fun is the reveal towards the end that a young Jack Napier is the one that killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Don't like that at all. Thought that was way too convenient and just not necessary. It's not needed at all. Um... But overall, I know it's a very different performance, a very fun and goofy performance, but I still think it is iconically Joker. So with the exception of that killing uh, and the origin, I really do like Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, they really needed it to come full circle in this movie where Joker created Batman and Batman created Joker and it's all connected and Batman creates his villains. Like they really needed that to be what you take away from this one. Um, I think the best Joker scenes come from when he's interacting with Vicky Vale. He'll bring her like dead flowers and like just stuff like that, just trying to like mess with people and get reactions. Like that, that's the unpredictable nature of the Joker I really like in this one. There's definitely a difference between his and Heath Ledger's that I kind of liked. It's kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker had more of a motive where Jack Nicholson's, I guess, didn't. And maybe it's the opposite. I just feel like he was just kind of more reckless. And I didn't really know what his overall goal was the whole time. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying there. I mean... Heath Ledger's the type of character, like we talked about Scream recently, where it's like, there's nothing scarier than nobody without a motive. But then at the end, his motive is to turn Harvey Dent. So it's like, well, you did kind of have a motive. Yeah. And you're kind of right. Yeah, Jack Nicholson, it seems like maybe his motive will be to destroy Batman. But Well, it seems like he just wants credit. Right. He, he yeah. gets upset that anytime he does something that the press is focusing on Batman. And I do love some of his uh, bigger set pieces, like Austin mentioned, like the, the parade where he's like telling everybody, come to Gotham Square. I'm going to. You know, these people in high power positions are so disgusting. And he's wearing he's wearing face paint to make himself look normal. And then he's going to drop all this money for them like because I'm I'm your savior. And then, of course, he ends up like gassing them instead because that's his plan. So there are some really cool elements like that that I do love from the Joker. It's always hard to say, like, what's the Joker's plan? But the Joker just kind of does things. So that was an example of something that I thought was pretty interesting. So getting into the sequel, Batman Returns, I, I really thought heading into this one, I was like, okay, got a little less Batman than I remembered in Batman 1989. I thought for sure in a sequel, they would expand Batman's presence and we'd get to, to delve deeper into Keaton's Bruce Wayne. And they kind of do the same thing in Returns, where most of the movies focused on Danny DeVito and Christopher Walken interacting. Uh, once again, a very villain-centric movie. Yeah, yeah. I like Returns better. I guess I don't know if we talked about that. I mean, because that's a, I guess that's kind of a hot take. I think, I think most people feel like Returns is a step down. Do you guys feel that way? Returns, I felt its runtime more than I felt in Batman 1989. But I think, I think for me, they're both kind of at the same level. 
I think I like the Batman slightly better. Returns I got a little bored with after a while, and I just was not digging. I, I like Danny DeVito as an actor, but I just wasn't digging the Penguin that much. You don't like his fat suit? No, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. I just found myself kind of just getting bored with the Penguin and Christopher Walken's character. It's so funny that to me that they made him like an actual Penguin-human hybrid. Like, Tim Burton was like, his name's the Penguin. He's got to have flippers for hands <laughs> and eat fish. Yeah. I did dig a lot of the elements of the Penguin character, of him just wanting to kind of come back to the real world and find his parents. Obviously, you can directly- I thought that was a cool take. Yeah, you can directly tie that into Batman's motivation. Whenever they do that with Batman's villains, I think it usually works. So this was a great example of that. Um and then kind of watching him get duped, essentially, by Max Shrek to get him to run for mayor. Obviously, there are some kind of fun and scary real-world parallels there where just like, it's just a celebrity being kind of put into that position because people like them. Um, and then watching that fail and then him try and retaliate against Shrek and Catwoman. It, was, it got kind of dark while still being goofy, which is an element I appreciated more than Batman 89. So... I agree with you. Like the actual take of Penguin is ridiculous where he's just for some reason he was just born a penguin. It's not like he fell into a vat or something and became one. He was just born this way. But they do kind of comment on that in the movie, too, about, you know, being born different. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and Max Shrek, Christopher Walken, kind of a random character, but found him pretty menacing and interesting. So I don't know. I, th I think overall, maybe I like the villains more in returns. Maybe I'm crazy. And then when you have like the element of Catwoman, who's not fully a villain, but kind of, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's great. So I think we have some, I don't know. I kind of like these characters. It's very brief, but I, I really liked it when Max Shrek and Bruce Wayne were interacting. Mm -hmm. And they kind of have this like business rivalry within Gotham or more of like political clout as a rivalry. I thought all of that was interesting of like how Batman uses his persona as Bruce Wayne to influence things in Gotham as well. That that was the stuff I wanted to dive into more, but you, you don't get a ton of screen time there. Did both of these movies kind of make you guys, does it make it feel like Gotham's kind of a smaller town, not so much of a big city? At times, it does feel that way just in regards to the sets because they just reuse the same sets over and over again as well. I didn't feel that with Schumacher's though. Yeah. Like Schumacher's feels like a massive city to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think the design is one of the better parts of Schumacher's movies. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Like all the statues laying around. Like I thought that was really sure. cool. It's very impractical when you yeah. think of how a city would function, but the actual, like it made Gotham feel like a place I've never seen before. Mm. I agree with that. But the actual like production design, like the way the city looks in Burton's, I think is a highlight. Just the way the buildings look, the way the architecture is, kind of like you just said, is completely impractical, but still really cool to look at. Like the scene that sticks out to me is like whenever they're gothic. going, yeah, yes. whenever they're going to the church, I guess, if you want to call it, at the end of the first one, and they just like look up, and it's not just a church in terms of how it looks, but it's also like a skyscraper. It's it's so weird, but really cool too. So I love the way Burton's Gotham actually looks for sure. I think it's probably time to move into the Schumacher era of Batman. And I know you knew this, Matt, but Keith, did you know that these films are supposed to be a direct continuation of Tim Burton's movies? Like, it's supposed to be the same Batman. And obviously, Michael Goh is Alfred in all of them, so that makes sense. So Schumacher, of course, directed both Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And uh, these two movies were written by Lee Batchelor, Jeanette Scott Batchelor, and Akiva Goldsman. All right, and going into our cast, we have Val Kimmer replacing Keaton in Forever, and Clooney comes in to play him in Batman and Robin. And we got Chris O'Donnell coming in as Dick Grayson, Robin, Jim Carrey as the Riddler, Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Two-Face, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, and Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. When it comes to quality at the time, definitely a drop-off here to put it lightly. Fans and critics found things to like in Forever, like Kilmer's performance, but Overall, the switch to more campy, comedy, and just a different art design were considered low points. Batman and Robin, on the other hand, is considered to be one of the worst superhero movies ever made to this day. I did not expect this coming into this episode. I like Batman Forever more than Tim Burton's Batman movies. I don't think by today's standards that's a crazy take. I personally don't agree, but I do think there are some good things in Batman Forever that I notice on this rewatch. I want to see 15 movies with Val Kilmer as Batman. What? 
<laughs> I thought he was fantastic. I wish he'd gotten more movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wish he was coming back in The Flash. All right. Well, tell us why. I mean, let's just start there with Val Kimmer, I guess. What did you like so much about him? I think for one, I really enjoyed having a younger Batman. Uh, Christian Bale's a little older. I think he's probably about the same age as Keaton. And then Ben Affleck, I think, is older than all of them. So having a younger Batman was fun to me. We spend a lot more time with his Bruce Wayne, and I get more of kind of the Playboy vibes from his Bruce Wayne than I did with Keaton. Something about his Batman just looks like he's having fun being Batman. It looks like it's enjoyable for him. And that was a take I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed. I definitely liked him as Bruce Wayne, for sure. And like you said, Austin, he does, he does kind of have that more Playboy feel to him. Yeah, this is my, my dad's company or my company, but I'm kind of just in the background. I kind of sign off on some things, but not, not really a lot. I just kind of give a shit. And that's kind of what I got from his Bruce Wayne, which I, which I liked. Yeah, you know what? I like Val Kilmer quite a bit as well as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, I think the things that I like most are maybe some of them are kind of superficial. I just like the way he looks as Bruce Wayne. I think it's just kind of a classic look. And, and, and that's a hard thing to do, obviously. It's hard to judge. But whenever I see him, I'm like, yeah, that feels like Bruce Wayne. Like you said, they kind of played a bit more on the Playboy element. He definitely still has the Keaton kind of social ineptitude, which I do kind of like. It feels natural and it feels like it makes sense for this kind of billionaire that was orphaned in that way. And then you're right, the Batman, there is a bit more of a focus on it, I feel like. And it feels like not only is he having, like Batman's not having more fun, but I think Kilmer's having more fun playing him. And they also do find some good ways. Maybe it's just by the fact that Riddler's the villain, that he has to kind of think his way out of situations sometimes. That doesn't mean that the situation isn't stupid. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of stupid things in this movie, but at least it kind of feels like you can see that, you know, smart factor of Batman, which I appreciated too. So yeah, there's definitely some things to like, particularly I would say with the, the characterization of Batman. And of course, with like his whole identity crisis, that definitely plays into some of it too. Unfortunately, for me, there's nothing to enjoy about Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson. Oh, man. <laughs> I get why they made Robin older, just to make it maybe more acceptable by the audience. Obviously, you know, Dick Grayson, whenever he's brought in by Batman, is much younger. And here, I think they just overcompensated. Maybe you get somebody that's like 15, 16. Get somebody that looks like Tom Holland at the time, for example. Like, that wouldn't be that weird. Instead, they got... Chris O'Donnell, who was 25 at the time, playing 18, which like, okay, so why is he living with Bruce Wayne? It's he's not he just bored. Need to be adopted. Yeah, so I guess Bruce is just like, you can stay with me, which I guess that's fine, but it just there's too many questions and it's too goofy. And then to pile on top of that with scenes where he's doing his laundry, and then to dry his clothes, he does kung fu moves to show off for Alfred for some reason, which is very strange. <laughs> and then a scene where he has to break into the Batcave by doing gymnastics on chandeliers to get through the world's like slowest closing door. So, <laughs> there's just, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. When can I get my own car? I want a car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't enjoy Jim Carrey at all as the Riddler in this movie, but Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, man. Way better performance from Tommy Lee Jones here than he was in The Fugitive, I'll tell oh you that much. Oh my god. What? Tommy Lee Jones is horrible in this movie. <laughs> I mean, the infamous story is that Tommy Lee Jones hated Jim Carrey before they even made the movie. Like, he didn't even want to be in it with him. And it's so clear that Tommy Lee Jones was just jealous the entire time that Jim Carrey was, like, trying to be funny. So he was like, well, I can do that too. And Joel Schumacher, I guess, didn't have the heart to say... Hey, man, this character is supposed to be half of a normal guy and then half <laughs> a, like a psychopath. You're just only doing one of those things. And it's so I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> His interpretation of Two-Face is terrible. That's not what Two-Face is. There are moments, though, when he's like talking to himself as Harvey and then yeah. as Two-Face where I'm like, OK, this is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But it's a it's a terrible interpretation of the character. Yeah, it's so weird how him and the Riddler... Like he was at the beginning, he's like, who are you? And then the Riddler kind of explains his whole ordeal. And he's like, I like you. And then they all of a sudden, they're, they're like best friends, like hanging out. <laughs> they might be lovers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a possibility. They're like giving each other hugs, and like hanging out on the couch, just watching things happen from afar. <laughs> I feel the same way about Jim Carrey as, as Matt feels about Tommy Lee Jones. I like a darker interpretation of the Riddler. 
I hate when it's like campy and funny and like solve my puzzles for me, Bruce. I'm very goofy. Like, I just don't like any of that stuff. Yeah, I actually do like that stuff. I like the kind of goofy, fun Riddler, but it's kind of similar to some of the past villains where he just starts out and he's already insane. It's not like Edward Nigma was a guy that worked at Wayne Enterprises that had this interesting idea for a project, got shut down, and somehow by that he was driven crazy. But in his opening scenes, you see that he's already like this obsessive, very violent person. So it's like there's not an interesting arc there. And then they do this stuff where like in some scenes, like public facing, he's trying to look like Bruce Wayne. Like he puts on the wig and the glasses and is like, look, I'm better than you, Bruce. You should have taken my idea to probe every every like day of people's minds. And Bruce Wayne's like, no, why would I do that? Why would anybody do that? It's weird when Bruce Wayne walks into his contraption that the only thing on his mind is just actual bats. That's all he thinks about. (laughs) (laughs) I did like how Batman beat Two-Face by like kind of goading him into doing into doing like a flip to do like a life or death. And then he just threw all the other coins at him like that felt kind of fun again uh, for talking and joking about like Batman doesn't kill people felt like he probably should have grabbed him when he fell because he very easily could have. (laughs) But he just watched Two-Face fall to his death. It's time to get in to Batman and Robin, the so-called worst superhero movie of all time. Guys, where do we start with this? I would put Spider-Man 1 up there. With this oh, one. You bastard. <laughs> 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 be an old lady with a stick to get these cranberries. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad movie. It's terrible. And I don't, I mean, it's been covered a million times. So I don't know how long we have to spend here. Just every aspect is bad. The villains are bad. Clooney's just playing George Clooney in a Batman costume. There's nothing nuanced about his performance. And our favorite Chris O'Donnell's back as Robin. Our favorite. You know, something else his suits better, at least. that really pissed me <laughs> off about this movie, a callback to one of our previous episodes, our romantic comedy bracket, where we trashed the movie Clueless, and who's in this movie, she's back. Well, she's also Barbara Wilson instead of Barbara Gordon. Yeah, they made her, like, niece of Alfred instead of daughter of Jim Gordon. <laughs> she spends a lot of time walking around Wayne Manor holding hands with her uncle, too. I yeah. thought was a weird choice for this character. It's nice, Austin, because he's dying. He's dying of the same thing that Nora Freeze is dying of. Would you believe the coincidence? <laughs> wow, only Arnold Schwarzenegger can save Alfred. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger can do anything, Austin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can, make 20, he can make 27 ice puns, no problem. Ice to freeze. Or, no, ice to meet you. Ice to freeze. <laughs> I still freeze you. <laughs> they probably, they, he could have said that on accident and they would have left in the movie. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get my two good things about this movie out of the way. One, it's the first one so far that kind of gave Bruce and Alfred a bit more of like a sweet relationship. And I like that in response to him dying, they actually gave them kind of some nice scenes. You know, Bruce tells him he loves him. It's like, oh, that's nice. And then the other thing I liked was. At the end, when Bruce stops Mr. Freeze, it's kind of a nice scene where he's like not trying to put Mr. Freeze away necessarily. He's trying to appeal to his mind to get him to help these people that are dying. I thought that was kind of cool. So those were two big highlights for me. But honestly, I think that's about all I could say that I liked about this movie. I'll throw out a third big highlight twice the amount of bat nipples as there were in Batman Forever. Mm -hmm. In Batman Forever, it's just the Robin costume that's got the nips. But then in Batman and Robin, you bring in the Batman nips. Thank God. Thank God. This is a specifically Batman-centric episode, so I do want to hear both your thoughts on George Clooney as Batman before we get into Bale. I guess he kind of looks the part. I mean, just looking at like George Clooney's, like the part of his face that we see through the cowl, it kind of looks like an Alex Ross painting. But he doesn't sound like him. He doesn't feel like him. (laughs) Whenever he moves, it doesn't look like him. So, yeah, it's just it it felt like the laziest portrayal to me. It feels like George Clooney kind of knew how to play the playboy bachelor rich guy part for Bruce Wayne. And he's fine, I guess. But he certainly just they put a cowl on him and he didn't change anything about his performance, which is kind of a downer. (laughs) So yeah, I'm not a big fan of his Batman at all. I think the idea of Clooney as Batman 
is the only good thing. <laughs> lazy is the perfect word, Matt. It's a, it's a very lazy portrayal. And it shows, like, it shows in the, what am I trying to say? Like, he, he doesn't even look motivated to be Batman when he's Batman. He just looks annoyed when he's doing it, like, as if it's, like, a chore or a job. Probably because he's having to parent a 19-year-old kid who's just in his house stealing all his food for some reason. <laughs> Did you guys like when they're surfing the doors of Frieza's spaceship back down to Gotham? I will say, kind of a cool shot whenever they're both flying into frame. I was like, okay, I kind of like that. <laughs> but that's about all I can say. <laughs> We haven't even talked about Poison Ivy, but terrible. <laughs> I don't think we need to. We haven't talked about Bane either. Oh, even worse. <laughs> All right. So we have talked about four movies that range from ridiculous to kind of serious ridiculous. with some camp in there. Yeah, just less ridiculous. So. Let's go ahead and get into where things started to get a bit more serious and realistic. And it's, of course, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, maybe you'll be questioning why so serious. Mm. Uh, this is, of course, as Matt said, directed by Christopher Nolan and written by David S. Goyer, Christopher Nolan, and Jonathan Nolan. And our movie score is composed by Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. And going into our cast, we have Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman, Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul. Killian Murphy as Scarecrow, Heath Ledger as the Joker, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Two-Face, and Tom Hardy as Bane. So after the mid to late 90s that saw the decline of live-action Batman projects, the right team was assembled to tell a more serious version, which got acclaim from fans and critics alike with The Dark Knight called one of the greatest movies ever made. The performances, villains, storytelling, and tone were all praised, Although Batman Begins isn't talked about as often, and Rises seems to be looked at less favorably with time. I think what I like about these movies compared to coming out of the 90s films is they're way more Bruce Wayne and Batman-centric. You spend a lot more time learning about what makes this version of Bruce Wayne tick, why he is Batman, and more how he wants to go about making change in Gotham. Yeah, I mean, we just, we just get so much more. We get more from Alfred. We get more from Lucius Fox. I loved all that stuff coming into it. All the gadgets we got. And then kind of his up upbringing in Batman Begins and training with Ra's al Ghul. Um, such a cool opening to the trilogy. Yeah, I definitely agree with all that. I think um, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. I feel like, is it a better movie? I'm not sure. But I really do feel like Batman Begins might be the best live-action Batman movie we've ever gotten. I think The Dark Knight is probably, and fairly, a better movie, but in terms of like a pure Batman-centric story, I think Batman Begins might be where it's at for me. Man, I love that movie. I think telling that origin, because when you think about it in live-action, it really was the first origin we got. Everybody complains now about how the Batman origin is just told over and over again, but back in 2005, I think a lot of people were like, in live action, at least, what is it? So I like that we got it here, and I think the evolution into the Dark Knight and the Joker, I mean, what a crazy portrayal. And then I definitely have qualms with Dark Knight Rises. I just, um, I saw it a bunch of times in theaters, and every time I've seen it since then, I like it less. Maybe on this rewatch, I liked it a little bit more, but I still, it feels like a weird close to me. At times, it doesn't even feel like a Christopher Nolan movie. It just feels like somebody else had to do it. Uh, I still think there's a lot to like in it. But yeah, I mean, overall, just a great trilogy and a very different Batman, but one that I certainly resonate with. I think a highlight too for me with this franchise is I feel like I actually know who Thomas and Martha Wayne are in these movies and, and what their contribution was to Gotham and, and why the Wayne family is what it is. I know they're not on screen a whole lot, but you get to hear from other characters what they meant to the city and what their goals were and what they were trying to accomplish. So I really like that. I, I've always enjoyed the take as the Waynes of this like shining light in Gotham and giving Bruce something to strive to be and to uphold their legacy. So I do want to focus this conversation on Christian Bale as Batman, of course, because that's the point of, of today's episode. And I think this is the first live action take on Batman where, you act, where we do actually de delve into the fact that Bruce Wayne maybe the mask and Batman is who he actually wants to be. And that's one of the more interesting parts of, of the Nolan trilogy to me. Yeah, I think without question, for me, he is the best Bruce Wayne by far. And not only is it because we get a lot of time with him, but it's the time they do give us with him is actually doing well thought out, 
kind of interesting things. And I personally do also prefer the Playboy persona slash mask for Bruce Wayne. I think it's more engaging to watch and it's fun to watch characters that he interacts with Batman like Gordon or Rachel initially um, go like, ah, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> like, in the Dark Knight, one of my favorite scenes that nobody talks about is whenever he, as Bruce Wayne in his Lambo, stops the guy that's trying to out him as Batman from getting scene. killed. And then Gordon comes over and is like, God, that was such a brave thing of you to do uh, to save this guy. And he's just like, what? I was just trying to run the red. And he, <laughs> he's like, oh. And then he's like, should I go to a hospital or something? <laughs> when Joker is trying to blow them all up, he's like, you don't watch the news, do you? Everybody <laughs> just thinks he's an idiot. Yeah. The first scene of him as Batman, I have to say, is probably my favorite scene out of any of these movies. I feel like the Arkham games use this as a basis for like their entire thing. But the scene where he's in his costume for the first time and he's in that shipping yard that Falcone is trying to smuggle drugs through and he's just picking off guys one at a time in the shadows. He's throwing batarangs to turn off lights. I got chills watching it again for like the millionth time. But when the, that guy is just like seeing things move and he's just shooting every time he sees something move and he's like, where are you? And the camera slightly pulls back here. Like he just like grabs him is that's like maybe one of the most iconic Batman just moments ever caught on film. So good. I really like that scene for showcasing how Batman would use stealth because he's outnumbered in every fight he goes into. So that's what I really like about that scene. I had forgotten, though, how much of the Batman actual action happens off screen, especially in Batman Begins. Like you don't see him fighting a whole lot until we get to the Dark Knight. It's weird because like all the scenes are good because of the writing, but I don't think there's very many good action scenes in these movies. And there's not primarily it's because he's just always fighting with his elbows and shoulders, which they do make a joke of in Dark Knight Rises. It's like, man, there's no cartilage in your knees and your elbows and shoulders are just completely fucked. So it's like, I mean, that <laughs> makes sense, but it, it never looks cool. It doesn't look good on camera, in my opinion. I don't think Nolan's movies are action movies. I think they're more so thrillers because yeah. they don't focus on action at all, really. It's it's always more so about the mystery and the villains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, got to shout out this. The Tumblr is the best live action Batmobile to date. It makes so much sense for the world. It looks so fucking cool. And it, it just is such an intimidating presence when it's on screen. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I did like we got some more cheesy comic-y looking retro kind of look to the Batmobiles and the other ones, but man, you're right, Austin, like the stealthy look of this one, it's badass. All right. So um, I think one of the consistently praised things with this trilogy specifically are the villains, not only performances, but just how those characters are used. So let's just kind of have a quick general conversation. Like, what do you think of not only the villains, but how Batman interacts with them? And then we can also just talk about, you know, like the side characters in general, if you guys want. Yeah, it's funny because when you think of this trilogy, you think Heath Ledger obviously is the first one that comes to mind with the villains. But man, it makes you forget about how cool Killian Murphy was as Scarecrow and all the visions that whenever he was throwing the gas at Batman and he was having those like, terrifying visions. I forgot all about that kind of stuff. Uh, that was such good material there. Yeah, I, as like a before the movies came out as like a comic book reader and as like a fan of the animated stuff and just other versions I don't know why it never occurred to me how cool of a pairing Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow could be with the whole fear element and obviously Scarecrow being the embodiment of fear and somebody that will deliver fear unto you. But then Ra's al Ghul is somebody that could very easily use fear to get rid of the places that he deems beyond saving in the world was such a cool thing to me. I I love that. I thought that was so good. I do think one thing I have forgotten that I, I don't really like in this franchise is how important Gotham is like to the world. I like Gotham as kind of its own thing that just exists for Batman and like the rest of the world to use it as like this crime-ridden place. But in this one, it almost feels like Gotham is this world's like New York. Like it's the, the big city in the world that everything is focused on. And I don't necessarily like that. I can't decide how I feel about that because I never got that feeling until Dark Knight Rises, where no joke, the president comes on screen and says, Gotham, our greatest city. And I was like, you have not set that up. It did not feel <laughs> that way to me in the previous two movies. Well, in Batman Begins, though, they compare Gotham to the height of Rome. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess you're right there. In terms of the Gotham design, though, I, the best design in this franchise is in Batman Begins when they actually like kind of break out 
the different boroughs of Gotham and you 100%. like go to the narrows and it looks really cool. But then in The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, it, you, it really is just Chicago. I think they get away from like actually playing with how Gotham is laid out in the latter movies. I know Batman Begins is Detroit, Dark Knight is Chicago, and Dark Knight Rises is Philadelphia, I believe. And yeah, I've never liked the reliance on like the city's architecture. And you're, I think you're completely right, Austin. I think Batman Begins is by far the best version because you have like the Narrows, you have these different versions of the city, and they all look different. Um, it never looked like as crazy as something like Keaton's or Schumacher's, but it had a distinct feel. So I, I really like that version of Gotham. How do you guys feel about the way kind of the side characters play roles here with James Gordon and Lucius Fox and to an extent, Alfred and, and Catwoman? I mean, this is the first time that we're seeing Jim Gordon in a big role. He was a fucking nothing in the four previous movies. And then Lucius Fox, his first appearance. Alfred obviously had a lot of screen time in the last ones, but this was the first time where it felt like he was always doing something really interesting and kind of challenging Bruce and giving him actual ideas. So I, I, yeah, I really like the side characters in this, in addition to the villains as well. Yeah, I like that there, besides Alfred, there's another person that's close to him, that's Lucius Fox, that knows who he is. I just like how he brings the gadgets in, because you really don't get that explained in the other ones of how he gets all this stuff made. And then even Alfred, too. Uh, I like how Alfred is actually has a lot more utility in it, and that he can, I guess he's a little bit more youthful than Michael Goff was. He's not a therapist, but Bruce listens to him in a way that I don't think we see other versions. Like, I feel like Michael Caine's Alfred is the reason that Bruce is able to kind of understand the Joker. Like, whenever he's talking about men that want to watch the world burn and, like, his history on how he knows that is incredibly engaging. And you see it in Christian Bale's acting, like, the way that he takes that information in. As much as I don't like The Dark Knight Rises, the scene where Batman and Alfred, you know, part ways is incredibly tragic and sad, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense and you get it at the same time. So let's talk about Katie Holmes slash Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel Dawes, kind of a original character that they meant to carry over and show more of an arc in terms of their friendship and then potential relationship that might happen if Batman was never needed. What'd you guys think of that? Because I think that's something that, as I've gotten older, I really do appreciate that character a lot more, and I like their chemistry. I like that this is a character, in addition to Alfred, who knew the Waynes. There's not a lot of people that knew his parents and, and knew maybe some of the happier moments of his childhood. And I like that Rachel is kind of that connected thread, in addition to Alfred, to what, to what things were like before kind of his childhood was stolen from him. Yeah, and I like the fact that she does kind of notice like a, a distance in him. As it goes on, and 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 uh, and Bruce, and and therefore leaves him, I guess, as a love interest. That yeah, I absolutely love that aspect. Like, cause like the first movie ends with like the traditional like, okay, like I love you, I love you too, and then they kiss. But then there's kind of that like you said, Keith. There's that element to it where it's like, but if there's ever a day where you know Gotham doesn't need Batman, we can be together. But I just I don't see that happening. I don't see you thinking that's ever going to happen. So. It's an idea, and if it happens, I'll be there, but at the same time, like, they're never together. Like, they have, like, a romance, but they're never together, which I really like. And you kind of teed me up for it, Keith. Man, I gotta say, as many times as I've seen The Dark Knight, the unsung hero of this trilogy, I think, might be Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. I think he's, he's so, good. so good. Got nothing on Tommy Lee Jones, though. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, Austin, because, like, we complained with Batman Forever that it's like, this isn't Two-Face. I mean, he's just playing the crazy side of it. And when you think about it, it's like Aaron Eckhart's version really, I mean, he has outbursts, but for the most part, he's just playing the Harvey Dent side of it. But they put so much time and effort into that character and showed you like why he's changing and pissed off that by the end, even though there's not like, he's not like talking to himself or any of that stuff, but it's just such a great character that I can't have any complaints about it. It just fits the world that Nolan's established here. Like a, a crazy Two-Face running around talking to himself and, and being obsessed with twos, like that wouldn't fit here. Like what they did with this Harvey is perfect. And I, I like that we actually got to see him as a district attorney. I believe in Harvey Dent, like he means that. I think they just did a good job of giving you time with Harvey before he becomes Two-Face. Yeah, and kind of like going back to our initial conversation, like with the Joker, I mean, Heath Ledger is so good, obviously. So many great scenes. Um, 
But the fact that he is just this anarchist, this guy that loves chaos, but he does kind of develop a plan by the end. He always has a backup plan. And it's like the big climax of the movie is Batman stopping him from destroying these two boats, basically. Then it's like, well, actually, my whole thing was taking Gotham's white knight, as he says, and bringing him <laughs> down to our level. Um, and I was kind of part of the group when this movie first came out, which was like, man, the movie should have ended with like the Joker. Like, I, I didn't like the Two-Face element. They should have saved that for part three. But man, I, I completely have done a 180 on that as I've gotten older. I think watching the Joker turn Harvey Dent and then Harvey Dent, looking at where he was at the beginning of the movie and then at the end, and then Batman kind of call him out on that. And he's basically just like, well, I guess the Joker won then is so dark and cool and perfect. And gosh, I just love the whole ending of this movie. If they had cut out Harvey Dent, we would have never gotten Joker in the nurse's outfit walking through the hospital, which is... Just such a great shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Joker lines in this movie is when he says, I think the two of us are destined to do this forever. And it's just such a good line of like zooming out at how long Batman and Joker's history has been. So good. Yeah. I think Bane was a miss in this franchise for sure. Um, I, I don't love this version of Bane. I don't have an issue with the performance. I think Tom Hardy did a good job with what he was given, but I just don't know if Bane was the right person for The Dark Knight Rises. It's just a perfect example of you get to the very end, you get to that final uh, few yards to the end zone, and they just really dropped it where it's like, oh, he's just kind of a pawn for Talia a little bit. And it turn I mean, she even says like his motivation was basically just that he loved her and was her caretaker. It's kind of weirdly like Batman and Robin. Yeah. How he's just with Ivy. Yeah. And it's like, well, this was a three hour movie. And for the two hours and 45 minutes of it, he's the one seemingly with the plan. He's the one leading the charge. And then basically at the end, you're just telling us that that wasn't the case, I guess. It was Talia. And then he just gets kind of unceremoniously shot by Catwoman on the bat cycle. So I think there's a lot of good stuff to Bane, but they really botch it at the end. I think too, as a positive for Tom Hardy, they don't do the traditional Venom hulking up stuff. But man, he is so, like his design and the way he built up his body, he still feels very intimidating when he's on screen and when they're fighting. And you feel like he's actually making Batman hurt. And that's kind of without doing the traditional Venom stuff. But when he breaks his back, that scene gets me every time. I laugh my ass off whenever Bane died in Batman and Robin, whenever they pulled the little juice cords out of from his head. <laughs> <laughs> he just shrinks before their eyes. <laughs> so I did say this earlier. I want to get your guys' thoughts. Am I crazy? Just tell me if I'm crazy. That's how we're going to end this segment. Batman Begins. Is it the best Batman movie? Where am, where am I at? Because Batman Begins, I feel like, is so underappreciated. For me, I think I would say The Dark Knight. Um, I just, I love the Batman Joker stuff in The Dark Knight. I like The League of Shadows, but I, I like it more when Batman has like a tense alliance with them. Mm -hmm. And we'll like we'll still work with them, and they have just have differing opinions on how to go about stuff. I don't I don't really like the League of Shadows as like an all out evil organization. I think I'm I'm with Austin. I think Dark Knight will take it from me, but Batman Begins was if you're gonna have a warm up to a trilogy, this was the best one you could have had. Like what a heavy hitter movie! And I think I'm yeah. I get and I get what you're saying why you think it's the better Batman movie. All right, everybody. So before we close out here. We're going to kind of do like a grab bag, so to speak, segment. We want to talk a little bit about Batfleck, some of our animated favorites. So where do you guys want to start? I guess let's start with Batfleck. I just want to call out that I find his Batman really interesting. I think it's cool that he's already established. He's been around for a long time. He has a lot of dark history. He's very brutal. He's branding people at points. There's a lot of issues with his first movie in BBS, of course, but Ben Affleck as Batman, I don't think has ever been an issue. And I've always just been so curious about what, what a Ben Affleck solo movie would have looked like. Me too. I mean, I think he's up there with, with Bale as far as portraying both Bruce and Batman. And like you said, Austin, he kind of just brings like kind of a, like a brute force to his Batman for sure. And definitely what we see in Batman versus Superman, where his gadgets are even more extreme and, and more lethal uh, than before. He's kind of a scary dude. <laughs> he's, really, he's really intimidating. That's what I like about his Batman is he feels so different from anything else. Yeah, you know what? He's actually kind of similar to me with Bale, where um, I didn't mention this, but to me, my favorite Batman of all time in live action is Christian Bale as Batman in Batman Begins. 
I think his voice choice in that movie is unparalleled, where it's just kind of this weird, dark whisper. But then he has moments where like he captures Flass, and that's where he uses the iconic, like, swear to me. And it's like, it's like oh my God, because he's screaming for the first time. And then for some reason in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, like his screaming and Batman Begins became his baseline in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. And I have to say, I've always defended that. But on this watch, I absolutely hated it. I, I, his voice in Dark Knight is fine. In Dark Knight Rises, it's truly comical. I'll never forget when we all saw it at midnight and whenever he's like, where's the trigger? I mean, I was, I was out loud laughing. It's so <laughs> bad. Um, and so I wanted to bring that up because I love his Bruce Wayne so much. And I absolutely love, 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 love Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne in Batman v Superman. His Batman, while the voice, of course, isn't an issue, the characterization, I think, is horrible. You can do a Batman that kills and is brutal, but there has to be some type of reason. And the movie never got to that. And of course, you know, you can argue it's because they never got to the Batman solo movie that would have happened later, which would have explained that. But since we never got it, I'm going to kind of complain about it because it doesn't work at all. But then when we watch the Zack Snyder Justice League version, man, that's a really cool Batman. That's a version where we're seeing like reformation. We're seeing hope come back to him. We're seeing optimism that even Alfred, Jeremy Irons is like, you kind of seem like you're different. And then as he's like getting onto a plane with the Justice League, he's like, it's all about hope, Alfred. It's like, okay. And, and you see his years of experience yeah. in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like he's been doing this a lot longer than everybody else, maybe except Wonder Woman. Yeah. And I like that stuff too. Yeah. So I like his Bruce Wayne a lot in BVS and I like his Batman- in Snyder's Justice League. So I wish we could have gotten the movie that would have combined both of them, but because we didn't, it's hard to say. But definitely a lot to like about Ben Affleck. But let's talk about Kevin Conroy, uh, the iconic, yeah. iconic Batman voice. He's played it for years. He probably will never stop playing it until he's in the ground dead. <laughs> but his voice is, of course, iconic for many generations of people now. In the ground dead. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's weird because Kevin Conroy is a situation where when I think about him, I think it's not like I can point to one project where he was so good. It's just you have the entire Batman animated series. You have Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which was released in theaters. You have the spinoffs like you talked about, Keith, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. Then he plays him in the video games, like the Arkham games and a bunch of other ones. So it's like he's just like a staple. You know, he's played him in so many different forms and different iterations that that voice is Hard to miss. Like, yeah, it's so good. I feel like he's the one that kind of inspired the like such a difference in voice between Bruce and Batman that other people kind of picked up later. So, yeah, I love it. The highest praise I can give to Kevin Conroy is when I'm reading Batman comics, Kevin Conroy's voice is the one I'm hearing in my head. And I haven't really watched the series since I was a kid. So it kind of makes me want to mm-hmm. go back and rewatch a lot of it. And uh, I think I did watch Batman Beyond as well. I always like the chronological order of that one, that Kevin Conroy came to play a, an older, retired uh, Bruce Wayne. I also did have to give a shout out to Bruce Greenwood from Young Justice. His voice as Batman is criminally underrated, yes. and I think he should be given a lot more projects voicing the character. Completely agree. Definitely the most underrated Batman voice. Yeah, I think I would call out the entire Justice League Flashpoint Paradox arc that they did an animation where it's, I think it's like six movies now, but it's a full Justice League story. Batman plays a huge role there and Kevin McKidd voices him. And I think that whole animation story is some of the best Justice League stories I've seen in animation, but then also some of the best Batman stuff too. So I've already referenced the Arkham video games. When it comes to Batman video games, I mean, that's what you play. There you go. Enough said there. Perfect. Um, When it comes to like, animation though i have a i have a few quick highlights i wanted to throw out so tying into the arkham video games because this one is in that universe uh you have batman assault on arkham which is basically a movie that takes place in that world about the suicide squad actually having to infiltrate arkham to uh capture the riddler to bring him to amanda waller and batman is trying to stop them and at the same time joker is trying to stop them so he can like kind of regroup with Harley Quinn. Uh, it's honestly basically a way better version of the first David Ayer Suicide Squad movie. There's a lot of similarities that I think they took from that. Another one is Batman Under the Red Hood, 
which is a very famous storyline that kind of involves uh, Batman's greatest failure with a second Robin, Jason Todd, dying. And then this mysterious vigilante showing up in Gotham that is kind of similar to Batman and Robin, but he's also murdering people. So they're trying to stop him. But Batman might have to kind of face uh, some mistakes he made in the past. And then my favorite, uh, there's obviously nostalgia tied to it, but it is Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, um, which was so cool and huge to me at the time because I love Batman Beyond so much, which takes place like, you know, many years later in uh, the Batman animated series canon where now Terry McGinnis is Batman and Bruce Wayne is kind of the mentor to him. And then out of nowhere, Mark Hamill's Joker shows back up again. And Bruce Wayne is like, he's dead. How, how is that possible? Like he had never showed up in the show Batman Beyond. And then all of a sudden, his greatest enemy is back and Bruce Wayne is too old to fight him. So now Terry McGinnis is having to kind of fight this version of Joker. And like, well, how is he back? And it's a very cool movie. So that's one that I would also recommend if you like the Batman animated series and all that good stuff. If you really like the Batman-Superman relationship, I would also call out, of course, The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2. Also fantastic Batman stories. All right, guys. That is our Batman retrospective. That was super fun. I wish we could have talked about all this for even longer. I have so many more thoughts, so many things to say. But the Arnie's Podcast Awards are the most prestigious awards, I would say, I mean, by far, that you can get in the industry. So we're all just going to sit down, talk it out, and give something to any of these movies, any of these performances, any of these people that we think deserve a call out. Austin, how about you start us off today? Yeah, I will be giving the Mass Murderer Award to Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. First, he remote pilots his car into a building and burns it down with people inside. And then he kicks a man down a sewer drain and drops dynamite in behind him. In his career as Batman, he has at least murdered 45 people. It's a beautiful <laughs> statement. Um, in fact, I feel like there was another nominee for this award that also deserves it. So I'm going to give the Mass Murder Award to Christian Bale, who, as we know, um, famously said, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then Liam Neeson was in a subway train and he fell off a cliff. And then he also tackled Harvey Dent off of like a six-story building and never brought it up later. And was very sad for some reason, even though that was his fault. And he couldn't save them, even though he always is saving people. And then he also, in his Tumblr Batmobile, rode over the top of multiple cop cars that I think people were in. So Christian Bale, you also get the Mass Murder Award. Yeah, I'm also going to give the Mass Murder Award to Ben Affleck uh, for, yeah, using his minigun and just mowing, I don't know how many thousands of people down. (laughs) (laughs) And wasn't there that one guy in that one scene in BVS that... uh, Makes him hold a grenade and kicks him down the hallway. Yes. (laughs) And he blows up. (laughs) All right. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for our brand new Batman entry. We've been waiting a long time, so that will be super exciting. We're also going to be in person checking this one out together and hopefully bringing you our first recording that we'll be doing in the same room altogether since starting this podcast a year and a half ago. So look forward to that. And if you want to hear our thoughts on some recent TV series, we just recently wrapped up uh, doing a discussion on The Book of Boba Fett and a discussion on the first season of Peacemaker. So if you want to hear our thoughts on those series, be sure to go check those out as well. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Who is your favorite Batman? How excited are you to see the new one this week? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy our Batman content. We'll be back next week for even more. And with that said, I think we're destined to do this podcast forever, boys. Val Kilmer should be back in the flash, not Michael Keaton. (laughs) 